Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning to you. It's great to see all of you here today, have you here, and uh, great to have those of you joining us online. It's always good to have you there, whether you're watching us live or recorded later. Those who may be listening to the podcast, it's good to have you join us as well. Um, We have some things today to talk about that are really, really important, that really, really matter. And so the first thought I want you to understand is this, that what you believe today affects you every day of your life for the rest of your life and beyond. That's because what you believe today determines what you're going to do today, the decisions you're going to make today. It's going to determine what you experience for the next 30 minutes and for the next 30 years. That's because belief determines behavior. Okay? Uh, Pastor Dave often says that to us, and it's so true. Belief determines behavior. When we really, really believe something, it determines what we do and how we respond. Now, now I'm going to talk about some pretty important things, but first let me talk about something that isn't so important, but it illustrates the fact. And that's the idea is that what you believe is what always takes over in the moment, right? You've got to decide. You've got to respond. You've got to react. What you really believe at that point will determine how you react. Many, many, many years ago when my wife and I were dating, uh, we were on the phone, as was often the case, right? We we're talking on the phone, and I'm in, in my bedroom, and I'm, I'm sitting, and I look up, and right up above my bed, there's a spider on the ceiling. <laughs> now, how many of you are like me? Spiders are just like, they're evil looking, aren't they? <laughs> For some of you, it might be snakes or whatever. For me, it's spiders. And, and, and uh, okay, so let me say this now. Please, I don't need a hundred postings on my Facebook page with pictures of spiders, okay? <laughs> Joyce. Well, there's a spider up in the room. Now, that spider's about this big, you know, not a big deal. It's on my bed. I'm not happy about that. And I'm on the phone. I said, hang on just a minute. And I found a magazine, and I got up on my bed. It was kind of squishy, and I'm going to get that thing. And, you know, but it's kind of, and I, I whack, and I missed the thing. And it fell. And I started, uh, I, I don't know if I want to demonstrate or not, but I'm jumping around and screaming like a little girl. My, my apologies, my apologies to the little girls. Uh, and the point is, rationally, I know that spiders, it's a little spider, right? But something about it falling down, me not being able to see, know where it's going right, what I believed at the moment was it had me. That took over, and my wife, is not, my future wife, is on the phone hearing all these screaming and says, what's that little girl doing in your room? <laughs> so what we believe really, it, it, and that's humorous, but in bigger ways, much bigger ways, decisions that we make all the time, they, they flow out of what we really believe. Sometimes we know what those beliefs are, 
Sometimes we don't know what they are. Just not quite 2,000 years ago, the disciples who would follow, his closest followers followed Jesus for three years were having a hard time figuring out what they really believed. Because they had walked with Jesus and saw, man, look, he's this amazing man. The things he says, the things he does, the miracles, they believe he has to be the one who's been promised to be the Messiah, to deliver his people. And they had seen all this, and, and man, it got really huge. They, people were wanting to have him dead, and they got scared of following him, but they followed anyway, and they finally followed him back to Jerusalem. And all the things that they had potentially feared came to pass. This one who they had so counted on was the one gets taken captive by the Jewish religious leaders who then turn him over to the Roman leaders and and he is crucified, brutally killed and buried. How do they make sense of this? We believe that he was the one. We did believe that, but do we believe it now? I mean, wouldn't you think that'd be a fair question to be asking? Did we get this wrong? Did we believe the wrong things? Did we believe the right things? What is the deal going on here? And then they got news that the tomb was empty. What's going on? You know, uh, Peter and John went and saw that it was empty. They didn't know what that means. Mary Magdalene went and saw as well. And she hung around, and, and she thought she had seen the gardener of this area where the tomb was and said, hey, where did you take the body? Let me know. We'll come and take care of it. And then he talks to her, and she discovers that it wasn't the gardener. It was who? Jesus. Risen from the dead. The tomb was empty because he was alive, okay? So she runs back, tells the disciples, and they go, huh, no. They don't really believe it. I mean, would you? I mean, think right now of somebody that you know has died. For me, say 2004, May of 2004, my mother passed away. Well, if my brother calls me up today and says, hey, I saw mom today. I'm going to have a hard time believing that one, okay? So we understand why they had a hard time believing it. But so Mary Magdalene is told, and Peter and John did see that the the tomb was empty, and what's that about? And and then a couple of other disciples who had been out uh, going someplace had actually, Jesus had appeared to them, okay? And and so they realized him, but they came back and said, we saw him. And the rest of them are still like... (laughs) I don't, how can this be? And so it tells us that, that they were all together uh, trying to sort this out, wondering what's going on. Could he really be risen? Could he be? And they were having a hard time figuring out what to believe. So let's take our Bibles today and look at this story. John chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we encourage you, there's Bibles under the chairs there. Grab one of those, and I'll give you the page numbers. We're going to be on page 1,250, page 1,250. So Jesus has risen, but the disciples here aren't sure what to make of it, whether he's really risen or not. So we're going to pick up in verse 19 of chapter 20. Again, that's page 1250. Verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, 
being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So get this, see, they're afraid of the, the Jewish religious leaders. Why? They had Jesus killed and they were his followers so they could very well be next. Okay? So they're huddled up there, afraid, not really wanting to show their faces out and about. Doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now, the scriptures here don't tell us what their reaction was. But have you ever been someplace when you didn't think anybody else was there? And then you turned around and there was somebody there? Did it startle you? But can you imagine the disciples here, this one who they'd seen was dead, and they're there and they're hanging out, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there. No wonder Jesus said, Jesus said peace be with you. Calm, calm down. Okay? Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me that, that um, we don't see them being glad until... This, I mean, you'd think they'd be glad right away, but once again, you know, they're having a hard time believing and figuring out what's going on. But Jesus does what? He shows them evidence. He gives them evidence. This is really me. Then they believed. So on the basis of this evidence here at the end, finally, that evidence pushed them over the edge to believe. Now let's go to verse 24. It says, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. What a bummer, huh? <laughs> it says, the other disciples therefore said to him, so when they saw him, they said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, do you think that's understandable? I mean, what's this guy's nickname throughout the rest of history? Doubting Thomas. And I'm not sure that's really fair. I mean, were the other disciples doubters? They were doubters just as surely until Jesus shows up and says, look, see the prince, you know, see the wounds? This is me. Then they believe. Well, Thomas has not seen that yet. He hasn't seen the evidence yet. And so he hasn't made a decision to believe yet. Verse 26. And after eight days, eight more days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And again, so the, the idea of the doors being shut is Jesus is just appearing. He's just showing up, okay? And telling them again, okay, peace, calm down, all right. And then he said to Thomas, he turns to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So he comes and offers Thomas the same evidence. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Did Thomas believe? He believes. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? That's us. 
That's us here today. Now, but we're going to look here in just a minute. I want you to see, just as surely, though, is when Jesus shows up, <coughs> excuse me, and he offers the disciples evidence, doesn't he? Let me, let me give you the evidence you need to, to make this decision to believe. He does it for Thomas as well. Well, we haven't seen him, and we're not going to see him, but nonetheless, the Lord has provided us with enough evidence to believe. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that means the Jewish Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for the Messiah. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus points to the evidence. Now, did the disciples not know that he was going to die and rise again? And you may not know the answer to that question. But if we look at the scriptures, we could say they should have known. He had told them. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, it says, Jesus began to show his disciples. Go ahead and put that up if you would, Matthew 16. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must be killed and be raised up the third day. Okay, this is why he came. He came to, to die, and in dying, the Bible says that the Lord laid on him. As Jesus dies on the cross. So let me just stop for just a moment and tell you that if Jesus had chosen not to die on the cross, he wouldn't have. In other words, he wasn't forced to die. He cooperated with the authorities as they put him to death. But so as he hangs there dying on the cross, the Bible says that God the Father took all of my sins, and there's a lot, the things I've done that I know I should not do, the things I didn't do that I knew I should, the, the right things I did for the wrong reasons, wrong motives, wrong heart, uh, all of these kinds of things. He took all of that of mine, and as Jesus hangs on the cross there, the Bible says that the Father took and put my sins on him. And he died paying the penalty for my sins so that I wouldn't have to. Because if I have to pay that penalty, I'm going to pay that penalty in hell forever. But he died paying that penalty so I would not have to. And then he rose from the dead, proving he was victorious over sin and death. Now, this is, this is what he had told him. This has to happen. This is why I have come. I must be killed and then be raised up the third day. Now, why didn't the disciples believe that? And they believed Jesus in general. They heard him. Well, it's because, you know, Jesus said lots of things along the way that weren't really clear to them what he meant by it. Sometimes he explained it to them. Other times he didn't. And they hear this being killed and rise. What, what, what's, that? what's he really mean by that? Is he talking in parables again? Is he speaking symbolically? What's the deal? What's they really weren't clear on that, okay? So we can give them some grace. But here's the deal. It had to happen. This is why Jesus came. And if it did not happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Apostle Paul talks about this in his, uh, the 15th chapter's letter to the Corinthians. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile because he didn't accomplish what he came to do. 
if he is not risen. So how important is it that Jesus rose from the dead? How important is it? It is essential to the Christian faith. There is no Christian faith as we know it, no Christian faith as the Bible presents it, if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Now, I think it's a fair question. I mean, sometimes we grow up with this and we hear this belief and we've kind of accepted from the time we were little. Uh, but I think it's, it's fair whether you have experienced that or not. I mean, you might be here today saying, yeah, I don't know about that resurrection thing, you know? I mean, how do we even know? And you might feel that way, or you might have grown up and it never gave it much thought. But either way, it's crucial that we look at the evidence for this. And today we can only look at a small amount. But I want to just share the evidence with you. And by the way, I'm, I'm on, on good ground here because what did Jesus do for the disciples when he showed up? He did what? He gave them What? Evidence, that's right. He presented them with evidence so they could believe. Well, there are many reasons to believe Jesus' resurrection. Luke talks about it, the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses who saw all of these things. So, we are talking about eyewitness accounts. Take your Bibles again and look over uh, one page, maybe two pages, farther toward the back of the Bible to Acts chapter 1. It's page 1252 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is Luke talking about what he's written. and He he wrote the gospel earlier and then he writes this. He says, the former account I made, and he's talking about his gospel, the gospel called Luke, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Luke has evaluated and collected all of these eyewitnesses' accounts, and on the basis of that, he says, there are many infallible proofs. You can't overcome these proofs. They are just solid, rock solid. All of these eyewitnesses seeing him for 40 days. So the eyewitness accounts. We're talking about, you know, Matthew. Writings, saw him with Jesus. Uh, Mark, who writes down the stories and the preaching of Peter. Uh, Luke, who talked to, on purpose, went and researched this and talked to all the eyewitnesses. John, who himself was an eyewitness. All of the other followers who were with him. The Apostle Paul, who saw Jesus later, after he, well after he was resurrected. Uh, up to 500 believers at one time, the scripture says. There were over 500 believers at one time that saw him. All of these eyewitness accounts. And where do we have these eyewitness accounts? Here, right? In the Bible. Now, that may raise a question for you because you may have heard and, and wonder, well, how do we know that we really have what they wrote? Maybe somebody made this up years later. Or maybe it's just been changed, they wrote things and it's all been changed on us. Well, how would we know? What would the evidence be? Well, you understand that historians all the time look at ancient documents and they they study these documents and they have tests that they use 
to determine whether or not this document is authentic, whether it was actually written by the person at that time. And so they have tests that they apply to that. And so let me just share with you three ancient writers, okay? So go ahead and put that up if you would. Here are the issues that we're gonna talk about. Up on the upper left, there's span. In other words, how long is it from the original when the original would have been written to the earliest copy, okay? So if we say, here's the historical event, okay? And we're gonna say, assume that they wrote about it then. Well, over time, copies disappear, don't they, and wear out. And so the question is, how long, how many years between the time that that would have been written till the first copy we actually have and can look at, right? Now, does it make sense that the closer this gets to when it was originally written, the more likely it's the same? Are you with me on that? That makes sense, okay. The less likely it is to have been changed. All right, so uh, let's, let's start down at the bottom with Plato, Plato's writings. The earliest copy we have to, from his writings 1,200 years later, that's a long time. That's the earliest copy. We only have seven copies early like that, and so they can't even determine an accuracy of them because there's just not enough copies to compare and figure that out. Okay, Aristotle's writings, 1,400 years after the originals were written, we have 49 copies. That's a lot more, but still not enough because how they do it in, in comparing the copies to figure out what we have. Caesar, 1,000 years after his writing, we have 10 copies. Again, uh, no way to determine the accuracy. Now, the oldest, most well-attested to document of ancient history is Homer's, Homer's Iliad, his writings. And we have a copy that's just 500 years old. Compared to those others, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's half or less of those other ones. We have 643 copies in that time frame, and they're able to determine by comparing that there's 95% accuracy in the text. In other words, there's some differences. Sometimes there's a word left out or a word added or word orders changed, but basically you have what Homer written. Nobody questions whether or not we have authentic copies of what Homer wrote. Well, let's... Let's go on and compare this to the New Testament, okay? Go to that next one. The span from the uh, oldest, uh, the, excuse me, the original to the earliest copy is only 80 years, less than 80 years. A portion from the Gospel of John, I'll talk about that in a minute. 5,600 ancient copies, and as they compare them, they determine the 99.5% accurate. So we're talking about some of these things that they aren't sure about. It's whether this word goes first or this word goes first sometimes. Or, wow, they used a different form of this verb than this one did. You understand what I'm saying? So what we have here, all right? It's good. Let me, let me show you just a picture of the earliest fragment that we know of for sure. And this is called the John Rylands fragment. It's from uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 18. And that's the front side, and that's the back side. And they find it's written, they can identify those words are from those passages. And you want to know what they say? If you go to your own Bible and look in John chapter 18, it says the same thing that's written there. My point is this. We have accurate translations of authentic copies of eyewitness testimony. Back there from the beginning. It's so close to the beginning. And I tell you, there are rumors in the past five years 
by people who are connected with people to say they believe they have found, and, and I don't know if it'll pan out or not, but they believe that they have found a portion of the Gospel of Mark even earlier that's actually in the first century. Do we have any evidence to believe that we have good eyewitness testimony? Yes, and the importance of this, importance of pushing it back so close is because when these things were written, people were still alive who would have known whether it was true or not. Did Jesus, so, so Mark writes, Matthew writes, Luke writes, and, and John later writes, but they write, and there were people around who could have said, wait a minute, Mark, that is not what happened. He didn't rise, what are you saying? See, but that didn't happen. And that's why we have this such good evidence that we have reason to believe. Now, uh, you might ask the question, then, well, maybe they lied about it, right? Well, these eyewitness accounts, they had no motives to lie. No motives to lie. In fact, let me, let me read you some things here. What happened to the disciples? Now, why would they have lied? They have to have a motive to lie, right? Oh, well, they were going to get rich, right? You know, we can lie about this and we can set up this religion and we can get rich. <laughs> well, the problem is, well, guess what? None of them got rich. And as near as we can tell, none of them ever even tried to get rich. That wasn't what it was about. <laughs> well, maybe we can get a lot of power. Well, no, they didn't get a lot of power. They got a lot of persecution, a lot of suffering. All of his close followers were persecuted and they suffered for following him and almost, all but one died because of it. Peter, the apostle Peter, was crucified by Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded by Nero. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Philip was put to death in Asia Minor. That's like the area of Turkey today. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia down in Africa. James was stoned and then clubbed to death in Syria. Simon, the zealot, was killed in Persia for refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias was burned at the stake in Syria. And John is the only apostle who died of old age after being tortured and banished to an island in the Mediterranean Sea. See, not one of these eyewitnesses uh, got rich or became powerful because of their relationship with Jesus. So think about that. Their willingness to assert that Jesus had really re risen from the dead, we have seen it, we are absolutely convinced their willingness to, to state that and refusing to recant of it caused them all to be eventually, to suffer and die. I mean, they were convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead and their lives were changed by it. These disciples who were in hiding became bold and proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. So there's no motive for them to lie. Well, maybe they were deceived, right? Or maybe they were even hallucinating, okay? Well, let me ask this. If an imposter wanted to show up and say, okay, I'm Jesus, I'm risen from the dead, who would be able best to recognize the imposter? Those who had what? Been with him day in and day out for the last three years. Okay? 
So there's no way they were deceived about who this was. They knew this was Jesus. And they weren't hallucinating. For hallucinating, we'd had to have 40 days of individuals, every individual having the same hallucinations, and at some point in time, 500 people all having the same hallucination at the same time. And if you think they were hallucinating, you're hallucinating. Okay? When we look at the evidence, and like I said, there's so much more we could look at, but when we look at the evidence, the conclusion is clear. Jesus is risen. He is risen. Now, so we can know this, but there's something more that has to take place. So let's go back and look at our passage of Scripture again. Page 1250, again, and the one that's in the, the Bible that's in the chairs there. And John chapter 20, and let's, go, let's start in verse 26 again. Let's read Thomas's story here. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Okay? So we're talking about this evidence, and no, here you can see. And then Jesus says to him this to him. He says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Believing is a choice. Could you have the evidence and not believe? Yeah. See, believing is not just about knowing. Believing isn't just knowing something. And Jesus seems to make this clear to me. Okay, you've seen the evidence, all right? Now make a choice. Stop being unbelieving. By the way, you might notice that our natural disposition is unbelieving. Don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Okay, you've seen evidence. Now you've got to make a choice. So let's talk about this, what believing means. When we talk about belief, we're talking about two ideas that are combined, knowing and trusting. And, and I wish I could have found a better word for trusting, and I, I worked on it and I couldn't, but I think this will be sufficient for you to understand. We're talking about the nature of belief. The nature of belief is that there, it's based on things that we know. Okay, what do we know? And in this case, Jesus says, here's evidence. We have all this evidence. Okay, so the things we know. But the reality is that you know, okay, yeah, I know Jesus rose from the dead. That doesn't mean you believe. Because there's more to it than that. Because if that was the case, Jesus said, here's the evidence. Okay, you all set. But he didn't say that, did he? Here's the evidence. Now what? What did he say? Now what? Believe. And so this idea, when it comes to believing there are things that we know, and in this exa example here, we can know this is Jesus. We can see him uh, for Thomas and for us. Wow, we can see the evidence, eyewitness accounts, and it's, it's all verified. Okay, we know it. But when you believe, that, it, that, that knowing gets married with something else. And, and that knowing is to say, okay, I know it. All right, I am going to trust it. For me, I'm going to surrender myself to this truth, yield myself to it. Now, is that making sense? Do you feel like that's making sense to you? All right. So it's these two things together. It's not just knowing, but it's then giving yourself over to it. Because, man, we can know a lot of things that we don't believe. And I know in our words, sometimes we think, well, no, believe, say anything, but 
when the Bible's talking about this kind of belief, it's more than just knowing. It's knowing and then making that choice to trust in it. Just as, and I've used this illustration before, but just as simple as it is, if I say, do, do, will this uh, chair hold me up? Well, we can, we can measure, look at how it's set together, it's built, how it's welded, what it's made out of, and make some decisions and say, yes, this, I know that this chair will hold me. Well, do you believe the chair will hold me? Sure, I believe. Well, then sit in the chair. Mm-mm. Uh-uh, not going to do it. Why not? Oh, well, well. Do you see what I'm trying to say? To believe, to say, not only do I know it, I trust in it. And that's what Jesus just told Thomas to do. And it's really what he tells us all to do. Not only to know, but to believe. To believe. So, there's two big areas of belief that I want to challenge you about today. And the first one is believing in the gospel. As, as we talked about today when I explained earlier how when, when Jesus hung on the cross, he died and paid the penalty for my sins, for your sins, the sins of the whole world, rose again from the dead. And, and to believe that, yes, wow, we have sinned against a holy God. And that, that puts us in, in peril, eternal peril. Uh, and, and that Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead. And, and then he calls us to say, just ad, admit it, acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you need a savior and then believe, believe that I die for you. John three sixteen. if you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that's the call. He died for us and we need to believe that Know and trust. We need to believe. Now, here's the deal. We don't start off neutral. Jesus said this two verses later. He says this. He who believes in him is not condemned. Okay, we got that. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because you haven't believed. You haven't believed. Belief, remember, is a choice that you have to make. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a little bit to make that choice to receive Christ as Savior, to believe and have your sins forgiven and receive eternal life. I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a little bit. But I want to talk to all of you who have already made that decision. Those of you who have already, you know, believed in that way and received Christ as Savior. It's not over for you. You are now faced with needing to make a choice to believe each and every day of your life. Not just believe in his resurrection, but to believe that what he says in his word is true. To believe that Jesus is worth following in your life. To believe that, that what the word says about life is true and making your decisions in, in, that are in a way that are consistent with what the Bible says. The Christian life is a life of believing and a life of faith. That starts when you receive Christ as Savior and then continues on. And for you who already know Christ, what you're going to have to realize is that just like you had to choose to believe, you have to choose then to learn. You have to choose to grow and to believe that these things are good and right. Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts and, and your ways aren't my ways. You've got to learn to follow him. 
Romans 12, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to believe each and every day with the decisions that you have to make. I believe you. Not only do I know what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do it. Right? You get that? I'm believing. I'm not just knowing. I think far too often as Christians, we know a whole lot of stuff that we really don't believe. And I know that we really don't believe it because we never move from knowing to doing. And we need to do that. And Jesus has a big challenge for us. You know, if we say, we believe you're Lord, we believe you're the Lord, we believe you rose from the dead, you are the one that we are following. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? We need to look at our lives and say, I gotta move from knowing here to believing and living out that belief every day as Christians. And so Jesus brings Thomas to this place. He shows him the evidence. He says, stop being unbelieving. Instead, be believing. It's almost like a question, so what will you choose, Thomas? But the question is saying for you and me, what will you choose? Now, Thomas chose to believe. We see it in his response there, but you know, it went on. Thomas lived the rest of his life believing this and living it out for the Lord. Thomas traveled 4,200 miles all the way to India and preached the gospel in India where he eventually was put to death. They, they say four soldiers speared him, killing him. Thomas chose to believe. What will you choose? Let's bow our heads here. Just want to close your eyes. If you're here today and you've already received Christ as Savior, you understand that gospel message like we talked about. But you look at your life and you, know, you say, wow, yeah, there are plenty of places where I'm not really believing God. I, I know a lot of stuff that I'm not then acting on. I'm not trusting. I'm not following in. I'm not doing. I know that. I know I need to do a better job of that. I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, if that would describe you, with, with nobody looking around right now, would you just raise your hand to me to say, yes, that describes me. Yes, hands all over the place. Thank you. Maybe you're here today, and you would say, boy, you know, that's new to me, this whole idea about believing in Jesus' Savior, believing in him to have my sins forgiven, not just knowing about him, but really choosing to trust him and go all in with him. That's new to me but I want it. That's what I want for my life. I want to believe and have my sins forgiven and receive eternal life and, and have God move into my life and begin working and helping me and changing me in good ways. That's what I want here today. If that's you, in just a moment I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'm gonna ask you to pray along with me. And you can pray silently in your heart. The Lord knows what's in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to pray along with me, okay? So right now, if that's, you're saying, I do want to receive Christ as Savior, I want to believe and have my sins forgiven and receive eternal life, if that's you, silently pray something like this to God with me. Say this, Father, I know that I have sinned. And I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know that my sins will send me to hell. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. 
And I believe, I don't just know, I believe that he rose from the dead. And right now, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. I receive Jesus as my Savior. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. I want to ask you to take another step of belief. If you just prayed with me, I want you to take another step of belief, not from just knowing, but to acting and doing something about it. I'm going to ask you to, in just a moment to raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor Walt, I prayed with you to receive Jesus as Savior. Okay? You move from knowing here to believing to doing. If you prayed with me, with nobody else looking around, just me, would you raise your hand right now so I can see it and pray for you? Yes, I see that one. Yes, I see that one. Others? Yes, I see that one. I see that one. Yes, I see those. Thank you. Others? Yes, I see that one. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, I see that. Father, thank you for these people today who, who prayed to receive your son as Savior. I pray, Father, you would, you would help it to be very, very real to them that they have made this decision to move from knowing to believing. And that when they did that very moment, Father, that you forgave every sin and gave them eternal life and you've come to live in them and are going to work and change their lives in good ways from the inside out. Pray to be very real to them. I pray that they will let us help them with their journey on this, Lord. And I pray for those, Lord, who raised their hands or indicating that they wanted to, as, as your followers already, they want to live this out every day of their life. They don't want to just be knowing. They want to be believing. I pray, Father, stir their hearts about it. Help them to make decisions even now about things that, they, that need to change. And again, that they would let us help them with that as they need help. Thank you for what you've done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Life Source Church family, eight people today raised their hands indicating they trust Christ. And I do pray if you did that, that you would let us help you. You know, they, there's a card there in the uh, chairs. You could fill out a communication card. You could just put your name, say, hey, I received Christ, or I prayed with you. If you want to stop the connection center table out there and tell them that, we can make connection with you. We have uh, some things we can help you, and you're growing with that. We'd love to do that. Before I let you go, let you know that starting next Sunday for three weeks, we are going to talk about the issue of forgiveness I'm talking about not so much forgiveness between us and God, but about forgiveness this way. Okay, how crucial it is. And, and what do we do when someone has sinned against us and we have to figure out how do we forgive? Or, or maybe we're the ones who need to be forgiven. So that's going to be the next three Sundays. Hope to see you here. God bless you. You are dismissed. Enjoy a great time of fellowship. <laughs>